How good is your memory? Let's start off with a simple test. How many of you have ever seen a penny? Okay, eight people. <laughs> All right, I think everyone here knows what a penny looks like. All right, here's our test. I'm going to put on the screen a few images of what a penny might look like. Pick the real one. All right, so we'll do a quick poll. By show of hands, everyone who says A. Okay, just that one section there. <laughs> everyone who says B. Okay, a few people. Everyone who says C. Okay. Everyone who says D. Wow, good for you guys. Well, if you haven't figured it out, D was the right answer. So this was an actual study uh, done in the 1980s. A couple of researchers, they set out to figure out what is the deal with our memory? Some of us, some of the things that we handle on a daily basis, we see day in and day out, we have a hard time remembering, like a penny. We have a hard time remembering these simple things, but we remember things that, you know, sometimes we shouldn't and sometimes we don't. And so the question again is, what's the deal with our memory? Have you ever come across someone you're, you haven't seen in a while, you recognize their face, but just can't place their name? Everyone. Uh, uh, can I be a little honest? Happens to me on a Sunday, every Sunday basis. I'm, I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> even, it does. You, you've been gracious with me. I, I, one of the first things you'll hear from me when, I, when we first meet, I'll, I'll tell you, hey, I'm going to ask you your name about five times before I finally get it, and probably on the sixth time I'll still get it wrong, but I'll keep trying, right? We, we, we try our best to remember names. We make associations and such. And sometimes, I mean, we look up at people who have just phenomenal memories. Just this week I was reading about Bill Gates who, who can recall every piece of code that he's ever written. I'm looking at that man going, wow, he must be a computer, which he might be. But we look at people like that and we're just astounded. But for regular folk like us, we have such a hard time keeping facts straight, keeping associations straight. So how do we, how do we remember? What can we do to build those associations? One of the simplest things we do, we build monuments. We take snapshots of moments and we either build something, we print out something, or we use tools like this next one. John, the next tool that we often use is this. Everyone who's not embarrassed to say that they've ever used this, please raise your hand. Wow. Good for you, Aaron. We use this. What, is, what does it say? What is the idea behind it? We use the selfie stick because we want to capture a moment in, wi in, in which we are in, right? We want to capture this moment and we'll go through great lens. My wife and I, we love to travel and every time we go to a, a city or, a, or one of these sites, we'll see we have to navigate around the hordes of people who are all holding out their hands like this, right? I mean, we, we've, we've been there. There's something inside of us. This selfie stick culture tells us that there is 
We have to catalog this. We have to capture each and every moment, and we have to remember this. There's a desire inside of us that we need to remember, right? And so that's where we're finding ourselves this morning. We're finding ourselves with this aspect of trying to remember, and so we're going to come to the passage today. And so if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we introduced this whole topic of stepping into the promise, stepping into the promise, So we've been working through the book of Joshua, and we see a God who is inviting his people, a God who is inviting his people to step into his purpose, to step into the promise that he has for them. You see, in Joshua chapter 1, he begins by talking to Joshua, saying, I will provide you. He's giving him a spiritual promise, saying, I will be with you. My presence will go with you. No matter where you go, no matter what you face, I will be there with you. And then he is also saying, I will provide for you. My providence is there. He even goes as far as I will give you the promised land. There is a physical aspect to it. And he says, I will give you this. So we're looking at a God who promises. This is, this is what we've been exploring over the last few weeks. And so today we come to a portion where I feel like we should pay, pay attention to. We should look carefully at why and what and how. And so this, today, this message, most of us, when we come to messages, we often, I want to start by asking a question, but I want to tell you that this message here is not just for a certain group of people or the other, it's for all of us. No matter where you find yourself on the spectrum of the question I'm gonna ask, this message is for us. So here's my question. What do you do when things are good? What do you do when everything lines up? When things go exactly how you planned? Or things are just great as they could ever be? When the promotion you were hoping for, you finally received. Or when the kids are just having a phenomenal time in school, they're making their grades, they're doing their thing, they're behaving well. When the house you put an offer for and you said, yeah, it's just not going to happen, it gets accepted. What do you do in those moments? Because you see, in the church, we often talk about what do you do when things fall apart? Right? We talk about what do you do, when you, how do you respond when you're sick? How do you respond when things are seemingly chaotic and things just fall apart behind, all around you? Your family's in chaos, everything's just rubble around you. And we often say you respond in faith, you hope in a God who is strong. As we sang, we hope in a God who is mighty. He is mighty to save, he will deliver you. And we spend a lot of time talking about what to do when things are bad. But can I put... Can I remind you of something? That the good moments are just as important as the bad moments in our lives in building us up. In this whole process of making us more like Christ, the good and the bad need to come together. So again, the question, what do you do when things are great? So like I said a few minutes ago, there are, a couple of different, uh, there are two different groups of people here. Maybe you're here saying, Ah, things haven't been great in a long time. 
I'm still waiting on God. I've been hearing these messages for these last few weeks, and I've been hearing that there is a promise somewhere that there is a God who will deliver me, and I'm waiting on him. I'm waiting on, that, uh, on something to come to fall into place. I'm waiting on a job to open up. I'm waiting for, my, for a family member who's, who's gone and a strange family member to come back. I'm waiting on these things to fall together, and it just will not. Maybe you're there. Well, this message is for you. But maybe you're in this place saying, you know what? I've been through it, but God delivered me. I've been through my tough times, but he brought me here, and I'm sitting here by the grace of God. I am happy. I am joyful because of what God has done. This message is for you too. Because you see, no matter where we are on the spectrum, whether we're experiencing the good or the bad, there's a way we respond. The moments of good are just as important as the moments of bad. So we come to a moment in the book of Joshua where it seems like everything all of a sudden has fallen into place. Everything is good. Last week, Pastor Rick was here and he talked about the people of Israel. So we've seen them in the, on their journey. Let's take a few steps back and we've seen them come out of the, out of the land of Egypt where they were slaves for hundreds of years. They come out of, where they were, for many years, they come out of slavery. God delivers them. He sends the plagues and he sets them free. He does incredible work. And they have this memory of how, how what they were and how they've finally been set free. And now they're encountering the Red Sea. And here God is. He, he parts the Red Sea. He sends them through it. He gets them into the, into the wilderness, into the desert. And there they are wandering for many, many years, of almost 40 years of wandering, where God provides for them every step of the way. When they were hungry, he provided them manna. He provided them quail. He, when they were thirsty, he provided them water. He he provided them their, so that their, their, their sandals would not wear off, their clothes would not wear off. Here's a God who is providing every step of the way. And finally, but at the same time, as much as God is providing, they're going through trial after trial after trial. When one thing seems to fall into place, another thing seems to pop up. Here they are finally knocking on the doors of the promised land. And what do they encounter? The Jordan. And so here they are standing at the Jordan. And God tells them, I will deliver again. So he sets them on this path. The priest would step into the water with the Ark of the Covenant. And all of a sudden the water parts. And this is what we read in the, at the end of chapter 3. In Joshua 3 verse 17 says, Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. If you can imagine with me, here's about two million people passing a river that was at flood stage. At flood stage, the Jordan would be about 10 to 12 feet deep. It would be flowing. The currents would be heavy. It's about 300 feet wide at places. And here's a horde of people, two million people, passing through on dry ground. If there's any definition of miracle, this is it. And so here we come in chapter 4 finally, and that's where we'll pick up. And we come to a moment in time where everything seems to be going well. What was once a difficulty 
God is getting them through it. What was once an impossibility, what was once a showstopper said, this shall go no, no more. God delivers them. And it, so it seems like everything is great, everything is okay. Again, the question, what do you do when things are good? So would you turn with me to Joshua chapter 4? Joshua chapter 4, if you, haven't, if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn with me. If you don't have one, there should be a Bible in one of the seat pockets or, or under the chairs in front of you, or you can just follow along with me on the screen. So Joshua chapter 4, this is what it says. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, each from each tribe a man. And command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of his according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in a time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off so that these stones shall be to, a people of, to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded. And they took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to a place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people." According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, the people passed over in haste. So you hear the story of a people who've just come through an incredible, incredible moment in their history. Never like this before has a ge this generation experienced. You see, the generation that is coming into the, into the, the promised land is not the same generation that experienced the Red Sea and new generations come up and they've only heard with the ears that God would deliver, that God would part the waters and here's a generation, now they're seeing it for the first time. They're seeing it with their own eyes. They're experiencing, they're walking through dry ground where water once was and they're experiencing this and they're on such a spiritual high. They're on such a high spiritual plane, and they're like, nothing can go wrong. So what does God tell them to do? See, in the moments of good, we are called to remember what God has done. That's as simple as that. In the moments of good, we're called to look back, look back at what God has done. After they had crossed over the Jordan, it says in verse 1, after they had crossed over, all these people had crossed over, and God says to Joshua, go pick up 12 stones. And so they send people back. They grab these stones. They come. Joshua's like, can we pick one off the edge? It's a lot easier. No. Right in the middle, right where the priest stood. Go pick those stones. Can we pick up some pebbles? No. Pick them up. It says they had to bring them up on their shoulders. These are not simple things. 
A few years ago, there was a recreation of what that would have looked like. And so down in Gilgal, the valley that they stayed at, there are these stones, and they approximate that those stones that they are there today are the ones similar to what they had picked up. So as you can see, they're not small rocks. They're big ones. And so he's saying, put all your energy, find the biggest rock in the middle of the, in the, middle of the Jordan and bring it out. Why? Why do we spend so much time, so much energy, so much creativity, so much space creating these monuments? If you've been anywhere around Boston, you've seen the monuments that we have maybe in the, in the public garden or maybe right down by the, uh, the Oyster House, you've seen the Holocaust Memorial or even right down in Burlington, you've seen places where we set up these monuments. What are these monuments pointing to? Why do we spend so much time and money and energy creating them? Why do we take up so much valuable space putting these monuments up? God is telling the people of Israel that they have a task to do. But I want to ask you this. Just a few chapters ago, we talked about their big obstacle that's coming up. Jericho, right? We talked about how they had sent spies out and they spied out the, land, the, the city of Jericho and they come back, they bring a report and they know on the back of their minds that as soon as they cross the Jordan River, the next big task is to take Jericho. Their next big assignment is to take Jericho. And so why do they not go directly from, this, from the river and just go on? Because they've built a, mo- a momentum, they've built a motivation between in their people. The soldiers are ready to go. They've never been as motivated. They know that God is on their side, and when God is on their side, they can do anything. And so why do they not go directly into Jericho? Because logically thinking, this is the best time, right? This is the best time to attack. If the people of Jericho are looking, they are trembling because they're seeing a people who are walking through water. They're, they're, the, uh, the kings around them, they're trembling, the people are trembling, and this is the best time to attack. But instead, God says, let's pause. Let's take a moment. Let's take a breather. We're going to do something else instead. And so he tells them, what I want you to do is to go pick up stones. I want you to go pick up stones and create a memorial. I'm sitting here thinking, why wouldn't God say, let's just go take the city? But instead, he's killing momentum. The people of Israel, they pick up these stones, they bring them, they set up this memorial. God is saying there is a sense of intentionality that's needed when you look back. See, in your times of good, God is calling you to look back. But when he's calling you to look back, it's not a fleeting memory. Oh, that was what a wonderful moment that was. No, he's saying there is a cost associated with it. There is an effort that has to take place. God is not just interested in their work. God is looking for them not just to conquer and conquer and move on, but instead he's looking for a relationship with him. He's looking for a people that would trust him. When he says take a break, take take a pause, he's looking for a people that would say, you know, you said it and I'll do it. He's looking for a people who have put their trust in him. He's looking for a people that is being built in his character. He is looking for a people that he can work and he can develop. 
He's not just looking for workers. He's not just looking, hey, let's just get the next thing done. He's looking for a people that are drawn to him because of who he is and not because of what he can do. In our lives, all too often, we're similar in, in that aspect. When we're younger, we're looking at relationships. And, when we're, and once we have a relationship, we're looking at marriage. And once we're looking at marriage, we're looking at kids. And once we're looking at kids and we're looking at the next thing, we're looking at buying a house. And what the house comes, we're looking at the remodel of the kitchen. And when we're looking at the remodel of the kitchen, we're moving on from project to project to project, not taking the moment to say, take a moment and say, God, you've been faithful. So often we're pressured to move from one to the other, move from one big thing to the next thing, never taking a breather, never taking a moment to say, God, I'm going to mark the moment here. I'm going to create or do whatever to mark the moment where you were faithful. I'm going to take a moment to look back at what you accomplished, the impossibilities that you made possibilities, and mark it. And God is saying there has to be a sense of intentionality. You see, in the root of the Hebrew, when you talk about the Hebrew word of remember, there is, it's not a fleeting memory that comes by, but instead there is action attached to it. So when you talk about remembering in the Hebrew, it involves remembering with concern. It implies living reflection. It implies taking time. It implies also when called for that you take action based on your memory. You see, the people of Israel, they're called to remember, but they're also called to go pick up those rocks and build that memorial. We should do it because God commands us. God commanded Joshua saying, go do this. And it says the people of Israel did exactly as Joshua was told. But you see, there's something unique about these people. The people of Israel, were they always obedient? Were they always saying, oh, God said it, so let's do it? No. They are a very forgetful people. Remember all the, the track that we talked about, how they were, they were slaves in Egypt and now they're standing at the promised land? It was not one deliverance after another deliverance after another deliverance. It was deliverance and then rebellion. Then God del uh, delivers, and then again they go back to rebellion. They complain. They, f they murmur. They are always looking back and say how good we had it back then because they do not take a moment to remember what God has done. They do not take a moment to mark the moment, but instead they go from one deliverance, from one victory to another without actually taking a moment, and it causes Confusion, it causes them to murmur and to complain. And God is looking at these people and saying, I know exactly what you're going to do. You've been through the Jordan today. Tomorrow you'll complain about being back in the wilderness. And so instead of you complaining, instead of you forgetting, this is what I'm going to tell you to do. Mark the moment. So there is a purpose. When God tells you, when God commands you, he's not commanding because out of a whim. He's not commanding just because. He's commanding with a purpose for your benefit. He's commanding with a purpose for your growth. He's commanding with a purpose so that you could remember. Because he knows that we are forgetful people. He knows. When we're in moments of bad, unfortunately, we sometimes forget what we learned in the moments of good, right? When things start falling, uh, falling apart around us, all of a sudden we lose focus of the God who got us through the last victory. 
We lose focus of the God who delivered us last. Israel was just like that. In the moments of bad, they lose focus of what they learned in the moments of good. In the moments of dark, when everything seems to make no sense, they forgot the God of the moments of light. Do you remember as a kid, maybe, maybe you were, maybe you were not, maybe you were tucked in as a, your mom or your dad came in, tucked you in, and they, they uh, you know, said their good night and said their prayers, they walk out, they turn off the lights, and all of a sudden, if you remember, do you remember that sense of fear that came in when you were like five or six and those, that light went off? All of a sudden, that room, which was your sanctuary, now becomes a room full of monsters and goblins, and there are spiders all around, there are crocodiles under the bed. It's just irrational fear. And then this, as a kid, you scream out, Mom, come back, Dad, come back. And they come back, they flip on the light, and guess what? It's okay. Right? That's how the people of Israel are. Because the moment they get into the dark, they forget the lessons. They forget the security of the light. They forget what they had experienced of the God who is, who brought them through their, their trial. And so he's saying, don't forget the lessons of the light. Don't forget the lessons of the good moment. And the way we don't forget is to mark the moment. It's to say here is a physical reminder. Here is a reminder of what God is and who God is and how he has delivered me. And that's what God is calling us to today. Where are those moments you mark in your own life? Maybe it's that job that you prayed for and prayed for and prayed for and finally God answered. Maybe it's that wayward son or daughter that finally came home. Maybe it's a drug addict in your family who finally God touches and is restored. How do you mark those moments? How do you mark those moments when you get a call from the doctor and the doctor says, I have your results and it looks like you're in the clear? How do you mark those moments? How do you mark those moments where you've been studying and studying for a certain exam or whatever it is that you're going for and God gets you through it? How do you mark it? You see, by not marking those moments, we tend to forget in the bad what we learned in the good. One of the rhythms in the Bible you will see is this command to remember. As a matter of fact, 234 times in the scripture, this command to remember is found. In the book of Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, we read, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Fast forward down verses 11 through 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. In Ecclesiastes 12.1, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. In Isaiah 46.9, we read, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. 
These are just four of 234 verses that say, remember your God. Take a look back, turn around and see the tracks that you've built up. See the path that you've traveled. Look back at the God who brought you here. Remember, this is a command. God is commanding his people. It's not an option. It's something that builds us. And we, we, cannot, we cannot downplay it. Again, the question is, why do we remember? Why do we remember? Our memorial, that moment you mark, serves a different purpose too. It serves a purpose to mark or stand as a signpost. Have you ever seen signposts? What does is, what is a signpost do? It shows you the way. It marks a direction. A signpost, your memory, your memorial, marks a signpost of what God has done in the past. It points back. So every time you look at it, you look back at what God has done. You see, we have memorials all over, all over society, basically all over the world. No matter where we go, as people, we like to mark it. When, he asks, when God asks his people to mark a moment because he knows that our memories are short-lived. And so he says, build something, do something, whatever it is. Write it in a journal. Write a, a write, create something. Write a song. Do something that will show you that every time you look back at it, you remember what, a God, what God had done for you. He's saying, take the moment to mark it. He also says, in Joshua chapter five, or in, in verses five through seven, he's saying, your children at some point will ask you. If you've ever been around children, you know one of their favorite words are, why? Why, 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 why this? Last, last year, my, uh, my wife and I, our, uh, our nephew and nieces, or niece, they, they two, the two of them came up and they spent a few days with us over the summer. And if there's one thing I learned through this whole process, this whole experiment there, was that you have to have an answer for everything. No matter how big, how small, you need to have an answer. Why do I need to drink my milk in the morning? What is in the milk? Or why do I have to dress up a certain way? Why can't I have the toy when he does? Or why can't I play on the iPad longer than I should, than, than you're telling me to? Why do this? Why do that? Right? As children, they're inquisitive. They're, they're always seeking answers. And God is saying there will be moments where your children will look back at those stones and they're going to ask you, what do they represent? Why are these stones here? And you better have an answer. And he says, as parents, you are called. You are called to look back and take your children along with you on this journey of remembrance and say, look at my God who delivered me. Look at my God who, who, who forged a path for me. Look at my God who is incredible. Look at my God who can do the same in your life. As parents, this is your call. This is your call to mark moments with your children and to proclaim with them. Build faith in them, in a God who is mighty to save. Parents, what are those moments that you mark that would lead your children to faith in Christ? 
that would lead your children to ask questions. Why do they do the things that they do? Or why do they put faith in this? Or why do they have this? What? And do you have an answer? Joshua is looking at his people and saying, we're building this memorial, but it'll be a memorial forever because our children and our children's children and their children's children, they will ask and we'll have an answer and it's an answer. It's a signpost pointing back to the deliverance that God had done. God tells his people that be ready. You will be asked and you will have an answer. What are those signposts in your life? What are those moments? God calls us to remember what he's done. He calls us to be intentional in our remembrance. He calls us to bring, to pass on the faith. He calls us, when you have these memorials, pass it on. It's not something that you just keep reminding yourself on the inside, but it's also something that you share with your community, you share with your family, you share with your people. But is it enough just to remember what he has done? Is memory all that is? It is. Or is there a bigger purpose to memory? See, in moments of good, remember what God has done as a reminder that he is not done. Let me say that again. Remember what God has done as a reminder that he is not done. See, our memories, I mentioned a few moments ago, they serve as a signpost, but they point in two different directions. One, they point backwards and they say, look at how good God is. But they also point to the, f- to the future. And they say, the same God who was good in the past will be the same God who is good in the future. He's the same God who will deliver me in the past is the God who will deliver me today. Often on TV, you'll see Commercials, especially for financial products, if, you're, if you've ever seen those, uh, they're, they're selling an investment or they're selling a CD or whatever it is, they're selling something. But if you've paid close attention, right at the end of this 30-second or a minute-long minute long ad, there's a small phrase that they include in there. Anyone know? I see you mouthing it, Dennis. It says, past performance is not indicative of future results. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Why do they include that in there? Because for them, they know that there is no guarantee that what they've done in the past may not work out in the future. They're banking on it. They're, they're, they're hoping that it does. But they have to put this disclaimer but the exact opposite happens in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, prior experience, prior performance is an indication of what our future results will be. What happened in the past with God will happen in the future with him. Prior performance is an indication of future results. And that is something you can bank on. That is something that you can hold on to. That is something that you can invest in. That is something that you can hold on to for the rest of your life. In 1 Samuel, we see the story of David. If you, if you know the David and Goliath story, 
There's this moment where David is coming up and he's hearing of everything that's happening and he knows and he's hearing Goliath scream and shout and, and, and do his thing and he comes up to Saul and he says, I will take him on. And there's this moment where Saul is doubting what he can do and this is what he says. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose after against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And listen to this. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. That's what your signpost does. That's what your memory does. That's what your memorial does. It points to the fact that there is a God who would deliver from the lion and the bear. And he will point to the fact that he will deliver you to, from the Philistine. To David, he's saying, I put my trust in a God who works in the past, who works in the present, and he will work in the future. His past performance is an indication of what he is about to do. Do you have... Moments that you mark. Remember what God has done. Remember. Remember. That is a theme over and over and over. Tim Keller puts it this way. Remembering God's past love is the only way to face present stress with confidence and pose. Remembering God's past love, remembering God's past actions, remembering how he led you when nothing else seemed to work. That will give you confidence to face your day. Remember what God has done as a reminder that he is not done. That he is still working, that he is still performing, that he is still moving. As I mentioned, one of the rhythms you see in the Bible is this constant reminder. You have to remember, remember, remember. But that doesn't stop in the Old Testament because one would come in the New Testament and he would sit in the, in the, in the upper room with his disciples at the Passover and he, gives, he breaks bread and he passes out the juice and he says, do this in remembrance of me. We read in the first Corinthians passage, Paul is recalling that moment where he's writing about that moment. And he says, he says, my body is going to be offered up for, as, for you as a sacrifice. My blood is going to be shed for you and for your sins. And he says, break bread, share this juice in remembrance of me. And so here at Mount Hope, every once a month we do this where we come together as a body, as a, as a people, as a community, and we take, care, we take part in communion. What does that communion do? Communion reminds us of a God who worked in the past, whose love demanded that a price be paid on behalf of you and me, and that he is not done yet that there is a work that will be completed. There is a work that will be finished. I'm gonna call up the worship team and we're gonna reflect on that for a moment. The, that memorial, the cross of Christ, reminds us that there is a God who loves us, who would do anything for us, and that there is a God who is gonna complete his work. He has saved you, and one day he's gonna redeem you. 
One day he's going to restore you. Your pain is not permanent. Your suffering is not permanent. Your chaos is not permanent. There is a day where it'll all come to an end. That's what communion reminds us of. That there is a day when that day comes, everything will be made whole. And so this morning, as we close, we're going to take a moment to reflect back. If you've ever been on a job interview, you've probably been asked this question. How has your past job experiences prepared you for this one? How have your past deliverances, how have your past victories, how have your past experiences with God prepared you for your next trial? Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I have never experienced something. Well, let me tell you, the love of God demanded that something be done on your behalf. And if anything, He has paid for your sins. He has paid for your, for your wrongs. And so this morning, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment to mark. We're going to take a moment to reflect. We're going to take a moment to pray. We're going to take a moment to worship. The worship team is going to lead us. But this is what we're going to do. As they lead us, right at your seats, if you need to remain seated, if you want to stand, if you want to kneel, take a moment to look back. Take a moment to look back and ask God, ask the Holy Spirit, remind me of those times where you were faithful. And as you're reminded, we're going to do this. The worship team is going to play and they're going to lead us. But right around this room on those, those black tables around the room, you will see these rocks. As a matter of fact, they're river rocks. Go up, pick one up. There's a pen there. Write a word or phrase that reminds you of what God did. Maybe it's that healing. Maybe it's that job. Maybe it's a family member who was restored. Whatever it is. Write it down and take it with you. May that rock always remind you of how good God is. May it just be a moment where you can mark. And it doesn't end there. Maybe for you it's writing a journal. Maybe for you it's doing something different. Whatever it is, please don't leave here without marking this moment. Because this moment reminds us that there is a God who worked. He worked His miracle. And it also reminds us that this God is not done yet. Remember what God has done as a reminder that He 